For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. An attempt to save the Tasmanian devil by shipping a, quote, insurance population to a tiny Australian island has come at a catastrophic cost to the penguin population there, including the complete elimination of 3,000 pair of little penguins. That's like 6,000 total birds if you aren't into the whole brevity thing. Little penguin is not an off-the-cuff name for just any small penguin, or in this case, the smallest penguin. That is the actual common name for Eudiptula minor, or if you prefer the hip Latin version, E minor. The little penguin, which is again the smallest penguin species, is 13 inches tall, but has an overall length of about 17 inches, which means that, aside from being the easy meal of choice for hungry Tasmanian devils, they also have a slouching problem. Maria Island is a secluded island national park off of the east coast of Tasmania, a former convict station, The island is accessible by ferry and, according to the National Park website, is a hotspot for birdwatchers. For likely the same reason Maria was selected as a convict station, 28 devils were released there in 2012. That population grew to over 100 individuals by 2016. Island life was good. On mainland Australia, devils face disease such as facial tumor disease, as well as many man-made threats ranging from habitat loss to prolific run-ins with domestic dogs. I'm going to give you a few fun devil facts. Devils are marsupials, and the largest carnivorous marsupial. They are relative in size to a small dog and weigh in about 18 pounds. But this small dog's got bite with one of the strongest bites per unit body mass of any predatory land mammal. 
They have a jaw structure similar to that of the hyena, another notable biter. They give birth to roughly 30 young, but female devils only have four nipples, so the young fight to the death inside her pouch for milk. Devils are known for their ferocity around food, which, if you consider the fact that they literally had to kill the majority of their brothers and sisters just to get to the stage in life where they could be defensive around solid food, it all makes a lot of sense. Their Latin name is Sarcophilus harisi, a.k.a. Harris's Flesh Lover. Don't uh, go putting that in the Google search bar, okay, kids? At the time of the transfer of the original 28 devils, the facial tumor disease was thought to be threatening enough to put the entire Tasmanian devil population at risk, which is why geographically isolated locations, such as Maria Island, were sought out. If your Jurassic Parkometer is going off, yes, Michael Crichton continues to teach us that history is doomed to repeat itself when it comes to transplanting animals to tiny islands, even when the best of intentions are at work. Despite having several possible alternative prey species on the island, including Tasmanian patamelon, which is not a melon, it's visually at least a 14-pound marsupial that resembles a cross between a kangaroo and a woodchuck, with pretty darned cute cottontail rabbit ears. Forester kangaroos are also on the island, which is the second largest marsupial in Australia, with a possible overall height of over six and a half feet and weighing in at over 150 pounds. In addition to that, there's Bennett's wallabies, which come in in about the 40-pound range, the populations of which were previously so prolific they had to be managed by annual culls, which all sounds like you put a predator in an area where they have a lot of variety to pick on. It's good on paper. They can go from similar-sized animals to smaller-sized animals to take on a 150-pound animal. but If you are an 18-pound meat eater, even a spunky one like the devil, chances are the low-hanging fruit, the little penguins, are what is going to attract your eye over the daunting task of waiting for some 140-pound butt-kicking kangaroo to maybe tip over dead somewhere so you can go gnaw on it. You can feel bad for the little penguins, only because the arrival of devils was due to man putting them there. There are many healthy populations of little penguins, some as far away as South America, which here's a fun fact for you. If you are a member of a population that pops up outside of the known range of your population, you are called a vagrant, meaning that little penguins can be found and are assumed to be from this general area of Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, where they are common. The uncommon populations, like those in Chile or South Africa, would be vagrant populations. By the way, what do you call a little penguin in Chile? Pinguino pequeño. Take that one home. Now, in contrast, the distribution of Tasmanian devils is very small and teetering on getting smaller, hence the attempts to find new homes void of disease and dogs like Maria Island. The International Union for the Conservation of Nature classified the Tasmanian devil as endangered in 2009. Kind of want to say, like, that's all, folks. This week, we've got bear attacks, wolf robots, human fishing lures, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week 
was wild, to say the least. Met some new friends in Southern California, we loaded a mountain of gear onto two small boats, and shoved off for Catalina and San Clemente Islands. Our primary goal was white sea bass, an interesting species that migrates from Baja, California in the south, up to as far as Southern Oregon in the north. WSB, white sea bass, is a highly sought food fish. It's a bright white flesh, and these bass are meat sticks. Lots of yield, big muscles on a sturdy spine with not all that much bone structure. An 88-pound fish is the world record. That one was caught off Baja, California, Mexico. Currently, the state of California is funding, in part with the Hubs Institute, a captive rearing program to try and revive wild WSB stocks. Decades of gill netting and liberal harvest quotas supported by market demand had the all-too-often outcome that we know, the realization that, holy crap, this fish isn't an endless resource. We can make an impact. To make matters more interesting, there are plenty of questions left to answer as far as best practices for estimating the overall population, what's happening on the Mexico side of the border, what ideal spawning conditions and habitats really are, and how exactly that goes down, and, most importantly to us anglers, how exactly can we keep fishing them, both recreationally and for the market, without hurting the overall population, making this sustainable in the right way? All good questions. A couple of things I found super interesting about our trip, which was a spearfishing trip, was no matter where you go or what type of electronics you have on the boat, you still have to put your face in the water to understand what's going on. The kelp forests are absolutely incredible, and forests they are. 50, 60, 70, 80 foot tall, constantly moving forests complete with dark, forbidding zones akin to old-growth timber and small openings bathed in warm, glowing sunlight similar to an underwater meadow. Gorgeous. And you have to swim and dive over and over and over in order to pick them apart. The fancy sonar cannot tell you what is in the kelp forest. You have to see for yourself, and it is addicting. I got a fancy new uh, Garmin dive watch, and one day I recorded over 86 dives. That's a lot of swimming for a landlocked guy like myself. The crew I was with, Joel Osteen and Ryan Moore, who represent Rife Spearfishing, I'm sure they put up some much more serious numbers than I did. I came away with nothing. No shots fired over the course of three full days. Full send. There were opportunities at other species like calico bass and sheephead, but it began to feel like those species were, I don't know, let's say grouse on a late-season rifle elk hunt, where every ridge you sneak up to has a few grouse on it. But if you shift your focus and go to hunting grouse, you're not going to be ready for the six-point bull that may be on the other side of the ridge just in front of you. Ryan Moore did smack a sheephead, which is a really gorgeous fish, a wrasse. They can be found from the Gulf of Mexico up north to Monterey Bay, slow-growing reef fish. They also have had some serious ups and downs as a species. They all start as female. Then the dominant fish, possibly the fish that just gets more food the fastest, will turn into a male, as in it grows uh, gonads. The male has a territory which includes a den to hole up in at night and hunting grounds. It will defend its territory and will breed with multiple females, whom he also tries to defend. On top of that, the male grows a much more pronounced forehead and white chin, 
complete with some really beautiful, pearly, white, canine-looking teeth reminiscent of old snort. As we all know at this point, slow-growing fish, fish that take a while to hit sexual maturity, especially ones that have to selectively grow their own males, are also susceptible to overharvest. So please keep that in mind and take responsibly a special occasion fish, not an every occasion fish. Lastly, it dawned on me how strange spearfishing is on this trip, how in many circumstances it is actually an appropriate way to fish. Hard to cast a line, net, or again use some fish-finding sonar in some of this kelp forest. Despite that, my brain still doesn't recognize the sport as all that practical, especially when I realize that the act of repeatedly diving, and in the case of like yellowtail or even the sheephead, I was just using myself as a piece of fishing tackle. Fall to the bottom. See what comes in. Swim slowly to the top. Swim or drift a few yards. Fall all the way to the bottom. Like an awkward speed jig. Hopefully you will get to see all of this last adventure, California White Sea Bass, in a future episode of the YouTube show Cal in the Field. Big thanks to the folks at Rife International for that arsenal of incredible spear weaponry. If only I had a bigger garage, I'd have a few marauders added to the list. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Our bear attack coverage shows no signs of slowing down, but this week we're taking a trip outside the U.S. In the Japanese city of Sapporo last week, a young brown bear roamed the streets for over eight hours, attacking four people along the way. Video footage shows the boar knocking down a soldier from behind and briefly mauling him, charging into an army barracks and scaling the fence of a local airport. The Japanese military must not have been trained up on bear defense. Sapporo authorities warned the populace to stay inside. Local schools were closed and flights were grounded for almost an hour. And because it is 2021, the bear was on camera almost the entire time. And the live footage of the bear's rampage went viral around Japan and much of the rest of the world. You might be surprised to hear that there are brown bears in Japan. Usuri bears, as the subspecies is known, are some of the largest in the world, almost as big as the Kodiak. Their range extends from Hokkaido, the northern Japanese island where Sapporo is located, across to the Russian-held islands in the same archipelago. That means they're closely related to Russian mainland bears. The Latin name of these Russian bears is Ursos Arctos Beringianus, which gives you an idea of how this population spread across the land bridge into Alaska and then down to the lower 48, becoming Ursus Arctos Horribilis, our grizzly bear, along the way. But back to Sapporo. Toward evening, members of a local hunting association tracked down and shot the bear. Unclear whether the meat and hide were put to good use, but I very much hope so. There's been a spike in similar attacks in Hokkaido over the past several years, as well as significant bear impacts on livestock and agriculture. This increase in aggressive bear behavior has led to what has to be the most Japanese aspect of this story. In the countryside around Sapporo, over 70 robot wolves have been installed in farmers' fields to scare bears away. That's right, there are shaggy lupine automatons in the fields of Japan, powered by a nearby solar panel. These robo-wolves come complete with glowing red eyes and emit howls and machinery sounds up to 90 decibels which is as loud as a steel MS-880 Magnum chainsaw. If you need a visual reference, and you're a fan of the Joe Rogan experience, that uh, werewolf Joe keeps in a studio is a solid reference to what the Japanese are using as bear deterrents. Not surprisingly, the suspected primary reason for the uptick in bear aggression is not so techy. Acorns are on boom and bust cycles. Currently, it's a bust in Japan. This acorn bust is thought to be the one factor driving these bears into populated areas. Local groups have sprung up to carry store-bought acorns into the woods for bears to eat. In my experience, feeding bears tends to not keep them away from people, but I haven't been on any of these acorn-spreading excursions around Sapporo, so I'll mind my own beeswax on this one. I was interested to read about the hunting group that eventually took down the bear because Japan is one of the most difficult places in the world to get the legal clearance to hunt. You have to pass vision, hearing, and general fitness tests 
as well as a criminal background check and a mental competence exam from a doctor. After you pass a hunting-specific written test, you get a hunting license that's good for three years. But then, you have to start an entirely separate application to possess a gun to hunt with. More background checks, written and in-person tests. Then, police interviews with your employer, family, and friends, and neighbors. Once you pass all this, you can own a shotgun. But then, you have to wait ten more years. That's right, an entire decade before you can own a rifle. All of this to say, I would love to meet these Sapporo hunters who shot and let's hope ate this bear. I'll bet that these folks are people with uh, serious passion, you know, to at least hunt their way through all that paperwork. But if you want to hunt Japan, don't count it out yet. Hunting red tape might be changing as deer and boar populations have exploded over the last decade with fewer and fewer people going after them. Local governments have been running the same kind of recruit, retain, reactivate campaigns that we have started here in the U.S. And so, in the other most Japanese part of this story, more women and young people are starting to hunt in Japan, in part due to the popularity of a manga series called Sanzoku Diary, an autobiographical story of a young urban guy who learns to hunt small game with an air rifle and cook it for himself and his friends. Manga for those of you who don't know, is a graphic novel, comic books for the neophytes. Interesting to know that there's a manga version of Meat Eater out there. (coughs) Moving on. An animal shelter in Chicago has released over a thousand feral cats into the city streets in an effort to control the skyrocketing rat problem there. The so-called Cats at Work program got a lot of news coverage, so I won't dwell too long on the story itself. I will say that a lot of outlets made it seem like the government of Chicago dropped a thousand cats all at once on the city like a plague of locusts. In fact, since about 2011, a private shelter that runs a trap-neuter-release program has been placing about a dozen cats per month with homes or businesses to try to control the rat populations. But even without a sudden cat blizzard, this is still plenty bad. Trap, neuter, release programs have been shown to be useless in reducing feral cat populations, and cats are actually much better at spreading rabies than rats are, as well as the very unpleasant parasite toxoplasmosis. Defenders of the scheme say that the program provides food and water for the feral cats so that they won't hunt birds for food, but it's well established that the drive to kill birds is completely independent of hunger and a well-fed and healthy cat is just a more powerful and efficient hunter. As we've covered many times, outdoor pet cats and feral cats are one of the most dangerous invasive species in the world, killing as many as 2.4 billion birds, that's billion with a B, every year here in the continental U.S. They have contributed to the extinction of an eye-watering 63 different bird species, and several others are right on the brink due to cat predation including the piping plover and the ua'u, or Hawaiian petrel. What I truly do not understand is how people who own cats can so stubbornly ignore the problem. Cat people are some of the most ardent defenders of animal welfare around, propose a bear hunting season in a new state, and see who comes after you. Methods for preventing cat predation are well-known and easy. Keep them inside. And if they can get outside, put them in a colorful, wide-band collar, at a minimum with a bell on it, so that birds can have a chance. 
In one study confirming the impressive effectiveness of the brightly colored collars, only half of the cat owners who participated in the first half of the study returned for the second half of the study. After the trial ended, 80% of the participants said they wouldn't use the collars again because the cats seemed not to like them. Which is the whole point. The cats love killing birds, small mammals, and reptiles, and are in fact waiting until their owners die to feast on their corpse. What the collars are designed to do is mitigate at least three of the four of those things, okay? Which, yeah, the cats aren't going to like not being able to do that. So here's my appeal to you. If you own a cat, go to birdsbesafe.com and buy one of their cheerful colored collars. Of course, all the cat owners who listen to this show strictly keep their cats inside, but what I'm telling you to do is talk to your cat-owning friends who don't listen to the show and tell them to get a collar. Every time you go to your local shelter, bring a few of these things. And remember, old Bob Barker from The Price is Right, at the end of every show, he'd say, always spay and neuter your pets. Seemed like a weird thing to do after bidding on a bunch of junk, but it was very effective. So maybe in these contemporary times, we can get my buddy old Joe Rogan to add a uh, good cat conduct to his discussions in between the jujitsu and psychedelics. We gotta try something new here, people. The Tasmanian devil killing 6,000 little penguins on one island is a catchy headline, but let's be real. Outdoor house cats laugh at those numbers. Moving on. You have to celebrate your conservation wins when you get them, so I wanted to circle back to a recent call to action we had on Wildlife Special Action Request 21-01, the motion to lock non-subsistence hunters out of the two huge units, 23 and 26A in northern Alaska. After nearly three hours of debate, the Federal Subsistence Board voted on June 16 to table the decision and defer action to next year. That means this year's hunt will proceed unaffected, which is great news. But it's that three hours of debate I want to focus on. We mentioned in our earlier coverage that a similar proposal on a much smaller part of Alaska, Units 13A and 13B, went through without the public taking notice. That easily could have happened with this larger piece of land, too. But because people like you stood up and made noise, calling into a tiny regional administrative hearing that would usually have taken 20 minutes, we were able to get a big wrench in the works of this decision. The board had to stop and take into consideration all the people who have a stake in this. Now, this wasn't an outright victory. The Federal Subsistence Board didn't say once and for all that this kind of closure wouldn't happen here or anywhere else. And a cynical observer might wonder whether the delay is a ploy to wait until the attention shifts away from this issue and then pass it later when no one's looking. But we're not going to let that happen. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to check out steeldealers.com to find a knowledgeable saw shop near you. Time to start thinking fall. And most importantly... Let me know how I'm doing and what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal, at themeateater.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. 
Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. 